Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, January 21st, 2024, we continue our series titled Knowing Jesus, the Gospel of Luke. Today's sermon, Inside Out, will be taught to us by Pastor Kevin Yule out of Luke chapter 11, verses 37 through 54. Enjoy. Sometimes you get passages that you go, man, this is going to be incredible. People are going to leave encouraged and uplifted. That's not today. Uh, Today, I don't know what yours says, but mine says, woes to the Pharisees and lawyers. So lawyers is bad enough, but now we got woes to everybody. So Jesus is going to be a little heavy handed in some of this stuff, but I do think there's a lot for us to glean inside of that. And so let me set it up for you this way. Uh, If you know the Yule family, you got to know this. We are highly, highly competitive. We compete in anything, anything and everything. Uh, And me and my little brother in particular love to compete. And it was many, many years ago. I think I was nine or 10. He was seven or eight. uh, And we would compete. And one particular summer, the thing that we competed on was our original Nintendo. You remember these? And the greatest football game ever created for the original Nintendo was a game called Tecmo Bowl. Yes, there's my friend in the back. You played many a Tecmo Bowl games, man. And we would go, I mean, we'd just wake up in the morning, we'd run in there, all right, let's do it. And we'd start playing. And inevitably, my mom would come in and go, you guys have been on this all day. You guys need to go out and do something else with your lives. So you get one more game. All right. And we'd look at each other and we'd go, this is it. Whoever wins this game is the champion Tech Mobile player. All right. And so we start playing this game. And I'm beating them by a hefty margin. And I'm letting them know that I'm beating them by a hefty margin. And then I get an interception and I take it back and I'm a bit more and I'm just celebrating like crazy. And then that little punk does something I didn't even think was even possible. He goes, I can't believe it. And he kicks the reset button on the Nintendo, (laughs) shutting the game down. And I look at him and I go, I won. You forfeited. He goes, no, 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 no. It was an accident. We got to start over. (laughs) Start over. You were down by 50 points. I won. No, he didn't. And so we start arguing, and eventually arguing turns into, you know, I've got to put this kid in this place. So we start wrestling. And then we start really getting into it. And all of a sudden, all five foot two of my mom comes in like a whirlwind, and she goes, hey, what are you doing? Stop it. You're fighting over a video game. This is dumb. It's not what we do in the Yule household. Both of you, stand up. And we were both bigger than her, even at nine years old. But at 5'2", mom, whirlwind, she's got a lot. Okay, so we stand up, and we're standing apart from other, and she looks at us, and she goes, here's what's going to happen. You guys are going to hug, and then you're going to tell each other you love each other. But mom, you're going to hug, and you're going to tell each other you love each other. So I walk over to my brother. I give him a hug, and I whisper in his ear, I love you but I'm going to get you later, right? (laughs) And away we went. My mom goes, there you go. That's how we do it in this house. Now go outside and play. Flash forward. uh, It's about two and a half weeks ago. It was a Wednesday. My dad called me and said, hey, your brother's uh, at ICU, uh, second floor of Mayo Hospital, and uh, he's having trouble breathing. They're talking about putting in a a breathing tube for him. If you want to come down and talk with him, uh, now's the best time to come down because we don't know how long he's going to be on this ventilator and, and he won't be able to speak. So I made my way down there and we just began to dialogue and we're laughing and we're chatting and we're talking about all sorts of stuff. And the doctor comes in and goes, hey, your numbers aren't quite where we want them to be. Uh, we're going to put you on this ventilator. It'll probably be a day or two just to give your body a chance to 
slow down a little bit, let these meds go to work, and then you'll be done. And I remember looking at him and I go, hey, two-day nap, man, two-day nap, no big deal. I'd kill for a two-day nap. Do this, get out of here, and we're going to walk out of here together. And before the doctors ushered us out, I remember looking at my brother and I go, hey, I'll see you in two days. I love you. And I grabbed his hand and with tears in our eyes, hey, I love you. Let me, set it up, let me explain it to you this way. Same words were uttered when I was 10 years old. But they had a very different meaning, depth, reality on that Wednesday afternoon in that hospital room than when they did when I was 10. Because when I was 10, I was doing it because I was told to and because I had to. When I was 44, looking at my 42-year-old brother, I was saying it because I meant it and he knew I meant it. And there was something much different about the very same words. And that's where Jesus is going to take us today. He's going to look at a bunch of people, a bunch of religious people that are doing the right thing. They're saying the right words, but they're doing it for the wrong reasons. And Jesus is going to go, you guys just need to stop. I am not impressed by what you're doing. I am all far more impressed by having a heart of contrition, a heart of repentance, and a heart that is reliant upon me. And here's the danger, at least for me, that I've wrestled with and that I, I'm trying to get better at. I can read a passage like this, and I can, I can vilify the Pharisees and the lawyers and go, what a bunch of idiots. They just didn't get it. But we are all here at a church on a Sunday morning. We are the religious leaders of our day. In our culture, in our world, we are the religious leaders of our day. And so as we read these words, these harsh words for the Pharisees, all I would ask of you is the same thing I'm asking of myself. What in this, what in the woes to the Pharisees do I need to embrace myself? Where have I, if in all sincerity, looked at God and said, God, I'm doing the right things, but my heart's just not in it? And can I own that? And would that be what Jesus would have for me today, just to stop and reflect and go, God, here it is. Would you bring me a heart of contrition to where I can live my life in obedience to you, not because you're up there going, you will say I love you to your brother, but God, I can live a life of obedience to you because I'm so in awe of who I am to you and who you are to me that I can't help but live a life serving and honoring you. Does that make sense? And that's where Jesus is going to take us today. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to get into our time in the Word. So let me pray. God, thank you for uh, your patience with me. Thank you for your grace with me. God, you know, even as I sit over here and as I've been reflecting this last week, God, you know the things in my life that I do. God, if I'm honest, uh, to please people, to make myself look good, to fulfill a job description, and yet, God, you see through all of it. God, I pray that you continue to search my heart, reveal those things in me that I need to lay down at the feet of your cross and God, just surrender to you. God, I pray the same for my brothers and sisters here. God, if there is anything in us that you want to take today, God, give us the courage, give us the conviction. Do not relent your Holy Spirit pressing in on our lives and our hearts one minute until we let that go to you so that we can leave different, so that we can live what you've called us to live. God, an obedient life to you not out of obligation, out of sheer awe and wonder of who you are and who we are to you. So we love you. God, I thank you for whatever you choose to do and speak through your word even now. We love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
So here we go, Luke chapter 11. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read through this. I'll explain a little bit as we go, but then we're going to come back to all of these woes. And so just track along here a little bit. He is speaking, if you remember, Jesus is, is healing people, and the Pharisees are kind of challenging him, going, oh, you're healing people by the power of what we would understand as Satan, but Beelzebul. And so all of that has just taken place. He's doing these miraculous things. All the religious leaders are around, and all of a sudden, one of them goes, hey, Jesus, why don't you come back to my place, share a meal? Verse 37, while Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to come dine with him. And so he went in and reclined at his table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, now you Pharisees, you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you, you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools. Jesus knows how to win over a good party host here. <laughs> Idiot. You fools, did not what come, this is not uh, he who made the outside make the inside also, but he who gives alms, all those things are within. And behold, everything is clean for you. Let me just pick this first part apart a little bit. First off, verse 37, Jesus is asked by a religious leader, hey, come have a meal at my place. Here's what we need to know, understand about Jesus right out of the gate. Jesus never refused an opportunity to minister to anybody. Even the religious leaders that are trying to kill him, even the tax collectors that are extorting money from him and his people, even the prostitutes that are leading people away from Jesus, Jesus never had a hard time going, if you're going to invite me into your home, I'm going to show up because I'm going to do anything I can to love and care for anybody and everybody. You see the heart of Christ, the heart of God on display. There is no one that God goes, man, unwilling. No, he's willing to lean into anything. And yet here his message is simple, right? You fools, what are you doing? What was going on here? So the Pharisees, they're astonished he doesn't wash his hands. I can't believe you didn't do that. This was not a hygienic thing. This was not like, hey, once you clean your hands up, you're going to eat. There's nothing hygienic about this ritual. This was a, a rule that the Pharisees had written into the law of the Lord. They felt like, well, we got to wash before we make sacrifices and we got to wash before this. Surely God would say, why don't you wash before you eat? And so it was a man-made law that the Pharisees had now implemented upon all of the people. And so Jesus rolls in. And Jesus is not about pleasing man. Jesus rolls in and goes, yeah, that man-made law you did, I don't do it. Well, I can't believe you wouldn't do it. I, I'm not going to do it because God didn't tell me to. You did. And I don't answer to you. I answer to God. Go back, read through Leviticus, read through Deuteronomy. There is no such law that required anyone to wash their hands before a meal. This is just one of many laws that the Pharisees had written in and heaped upon the people in order to control and to assert their authority. So Jesus goes, I don't answer to you or your authority. You fools. You're so worried about making the outside clean that you've lost sight of what's on the inside. And so then he makes this strange kind of proverbial statement in verse 40. You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? Implication, yes. Verse 41, but give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean to you. What's this a reference to? I think this is a reference to this. Repent. Stop. When you give, give it because it's, you've, you've, you've gotten to a place where you go, God, I want to do this because I'm in love and in obedience to you, not because I have to, because I love you. And once we get to that place, then everything we do becomes clean because our heart is in the right standing with the Lord. Not because we have to, but because we want to. 
God cares a whole lot more about the why than the what. Go read Isaiah 1. The Jews, you know what the Israel was doing? They're doing all the right things. They're doing all the right sacrifices. And God sends Isaiah and goes, tell the people of Israel, I'm sick of all their sacrifices. I could care less about your bulls. I could care less about your, your wave offering, your new moon Sabbath. They are all disgusting to me. What I would ask of you is that you would turn and repent. Turn your heart back to me. See, God cares a whole lot more. He always has cared a whole lot more about the why we do what we do than what we do. And so do we have that theological understanding as religious leaders of our day? Now we're going to get into some woes. And Jesus is going to start throwing some left and right punches. And they're going to land. And they should land for us too. At least for me, I know they do. Verse 42. But woe to you, Pharisees. For you tithe mint and rue and every herb, and yet you neglect justice and the love of God. These you, has, these you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Verse 43, woe to you Pharisees. You love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace. Verse 44, woe to you, our third one. For you are like unmarked graves and people walking over them without knowing them. So what are these three woes? Well, let's get to that first one. Woe to you. Why, you tithe mint and rue and every herb, but yet you neglect justice and the love of God. Pharisees, you become so fixated on, on the, the letter of the law and doing these things that you miss why you're supposed to do them in the first place, and that is to love people and love the people I put in your path and love those that bear my image. And you've got so caught up in, are we following the rules? That you neglect the people that are there in front of you. Do you really think on any level that God is up there going, I'm going to have this big meal. You know what I could go for? A little more rue. Who didn't tithe their rue? God doesn't care. God can do whatever he wants. He can bring us whatever he wants. You're not giving this to God because he's like, oh, I needed that. No, we're asked to do the things we do so that we can reflect the character and nature and heart of God, which is to love the people God puts in front of us. 1 John 5, right? No one's ever seen God, but when we love, people get a glimpse of who God is. That's what he wants. So when you come down to this, what does God want me to do? What, just tell me, what does it mean? Here's what it means. Have a broken and contrite heart, an acknowledgement that you need a savior. And from that humble posture, love anyone God puts in your way. If that means you tithe your mint and your rue and your herb, then that means that's what you do, but you do it because you love the people and God, not because you have to. Don't give up love of people, justice, and the love of the Lord in your duty and obligation of what you do. Why do you do what you do? And here's the second one, and this is the biggest one, at least for me. But woe to you, Pharisees. Why? Because you love the best seat in the synagogue and the greetings in the marketplace. I put this down, and this for me is, is the woe of people-pleasing. You love to make yourself look real good. Look at me. They would put on their, 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 their robes and their tassels and their big turbans, and they would walk around the streets. Religious leader is here. Fall at my feet. Look at who I am. I know a lot of things. I got a lot of rue. And people would fall down. Oh, look, he's here. He's here. Get out of his way, kids. Get back. Here comes the religious leader. Good to see you, sir. And Jesus says, look, you're so concerned about looking so good on the outside, and yet your heart is so gross and disgusting. He's going to get to that when he talks about stepping over graves. But this is the heart of people pleasing. This is for every one of us. 
that have ever projected an image of what we think others want to see in us in a, in a righteous, pious way, and yet inside we know we are not good. We are not good. I've got a hundred examples of this. I'll give you the, at least for me, the safest one. Still getting to know each other a little bit. It'll get more vulnerable as we move on. But here, here's the safest one for me. At least three occasions. Not today. Thank you, Jesus. But at least three occasions. I remember standing out here on the curb. I, I greet people on Sunday mornings right out here on the curb. Uh, three times I can remember going back where Brooke and I got into a, a, a bit of a, an argument the night before. An argument the night before that ended with me going, you know what, I don't want to talk about this anymore. I'm done. I'm going to go to bed, and then I'm going to go to work. I'll see you afterwards. But we need to. No, that's it. I'm done. And in frustration, selfishness, anger, I went to bed. And then I woke up. Because I get to get here early, she was still asleep. Woke up, got dressed, frustrated. I can't believe it. Show up here, park, walk out here, get on the curb. Man, someone shows up. Hey! <laughs> Happy Sunday. Good to see you. Praise the Lord. God's day. Good to see you. Hey, welcome to church. Good to see you. So glad you're here. I can play that game real easy. But I know in my heart, it's just the outside. It's a facade. I'm just pretending. I got to imagine, even as I lean into this scripture, that God's up there looking at me going, Kevin, what are you doing? Do you think I'm impressed that you're here saying hi to people when you come in when I know what's going on? Quit parading around. Look at me. What a, what a good humble sir. What a good guy. No. Go home and love your wife like Christ loved the church. Go home and be a selfless human being, not a selfish little punk. Quit making yourself look good on the outside because I care more about what's on the inside. And so for me, this is what I wrestle with. Woe to you Pharisees. You love to make yourself look good on the outside, but where is your heart? So for any of you that, that maybe have ever said, and even now if you're sitting there going, man, I project this image of I got it all together. Maybe for you today, what God would say to you is, can we just stop? Can you and I just both stop and go, God, you know everything, so here it is. And can I just sit in that and realize that God cares more, a whole lot more about that Psalm Thomas quoted last week, right? Psalm 139, God, search me and know me. You're not asking God to search you and know you because God needs the invitation. He knows. You're asking him to search you and know you so that he can reveal to you those things in you. Search me and know me. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any sinful, grievous way in me. And God, would you make that very apparent so that I could lay that down at the feet of the cross. And then would you lead me in your way everlasting. Maybe that's our prayer for any of you that are like me and you're, you're people pleasers and you want to project. Now this last one, when he talks about this walking over graves, here's why I think he's, he's telling these Pharisees, you guys got it all backwards. He says you're like unmarked graves. People walk over you without even knowing it. To touch an unmarked grave or to touch a grave or to touch a body at that time made you ceremonial, ceremonially unclean. Couldn't enter the temple, couldn't do trade in the marketplace. You were unclean. You had to go spend a period of time getting clean before you could come back in and even be around people. So Jesus looks at the Pharisees and goes, you guys are so wicked and corrupt on the inside that you're actually like an unmarked grave. And people walk over it and they're unclean, but they don't even know they're unclean just by being in your presence. You're so filthy and yet you've convinced yourself that you're so good that people just being around you makes them unclean. 
Do you hear the hypocrisy in that? This is what I would call the woe of hypocrisy. This is for all of us that, that we come in here and we go, oh yeah, Jesus, take my life, love you, honor you, worship, 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 study the word, da, 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 and then we go out and do whatever we want. And we got people in our wake going, oh man, I'm following in their footsteps. And man, that's, they're, they're, they're my religious mentor. And I'm following and pursuing them. And God's going, man, you're actually doing harm to them. And they don't even know it because you don't even know it. Why do you do what you do? Why do you do what you do? You see, it's easy to be hypocritical when we do what we do because we have to. When we're doing what we do because we want to, now it's authentic. Now it's real. Now it's not conjured up or forced. Woe to you Pharisees. You think you're doing the right thing, but your hearts are so far from me. Now, in case the other people in the room didn't quite get it, one such lawyer speaks up here in verse 45. One lawyer answers him and goes, hey, teacher, you know when you say these things, you're insulting us too. Well done. You figured it out, guy. And again, Jesus being God and, and never shying away for an opportunity to speak truth doesn't go, I'm sorry I offended you. No, he says this. Listen here, Snowflake, verse 46. He says, woe to you lawyers also. Why, you load people down with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with even one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build tombs of the prophets for whom your father killed, and so are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. 49, therefore also the wisdom of God says this, I will send the prophets and the apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. Verse 51, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altars and the sanctuary, yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter it yourselves, and you actually hinder those who are entering I'm going to stop right there. What are these woes to the lawyers? Well, the first one is this. Verse 46, what are you lawyers? Why? Because you, you load burdens on the people, but then you're unwilling to even give one finger to help them lift these burdens. What's that talking about? It's these, it's these lawyers, the Pharisees, the scribes, they would walk around and they would go, hey, you need to do this, and you need to do this, and you need to clean that up, and you need to do this and this and this. Oh, all right. Never providing a solution to those problems. So what does that look like for us today as the religious leaders of our culture and our day? Here's how I understand it. At least here's how I struggle with it. This is me putting God's moral code on those people that don't know Jesus Christ. It's looking at them and going, hey, you know what you need to do? You need to change your sexual orientation. Hey, you know what your problem is? You have the wrong ideology. Hey, you know what you need to do? You need to stop doing this, and you need to stop doing that, and you need to start doing this, and if you did this, because that's what God wants you to do. And I leave it there. What have I done? Created burdens for people. You know what? Creating burdens and then giving them, and giving them a, what, to use Jesus' words, giving them a finger to help lift it, give them a whole lot more than just a finger or a hand to lift it up, is to do this. Hey, I don't know if where you're at in life right now is working for you, but can I tell you about Jesus Christ? 
And can I lead with the gospel? And I can, can I tell you about the Savior of the world, the one that's changing me from the inside each and every day? Can I tell you about that guy? Yeah, but I got all this. I don't care about all of that. What I care about is you knowing Jesus Christ because once you fall in love with Jesus and you know him the way that I know him, all this other stuff that everyone's always told you, clean up and do, God's gonna take care of that because that's what he's in the business of doing because that's what he's doing in my life. That's what the Holy Spirit does in me. And if I read John 16 and I read John 14 correctly, that's the role of the Holy Spirit, not the role of Kevin Yule, to convict the world of sin. So you know what my job is? Not to put heavy burdens on people and to tell people that don't know Jesus, here's what God wants you to live like. They don't know Jesus. Read 1 Corinthians 2. They can't even understand the things of God because they don't have Jesus. So you know what my job is? Not to, not to heap heavy burdens. It's to go, hey, where are you at? I believe this. Man, that's great. That's interesting. I'm not there, but can I tell you what I know about Jesus? I want to live my life this way. Man, that's great. I'm not there, nor do I think I can get there, but can I tell you about Jesus? Lead with the gospel. Don't heap heavy burdens and not be willing to lift a finger. The finger, the opportunity, the hope that we can give to the world is Jesus Christ, and that's what he wants for us today. Here we go, next one. Woe to you, why? You build tombs of the prophets for whom your father is killed, and so you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your father, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. What's this talking about? Well, if you know anything about your, your history of Israel, the, the religious leaders are the ones that killed all the prophets. Hey, we need to repent. Isaiah would roll into town. Zechariah would roll into town. All these prophets would roll into town and go, you guys need to stop doing what you're doing. And the king, the leaders would go, hey, we don't like that. That doesn't sound encouraging. Kill that guy or throw him in prison or shut him up. Don't let him speak anymore. And over and over and over again, they actually murdered the people. They killed the ones coming to, that God sent to help them turn. And now the religious leaders go, hey, let's build a... Let's build a monument to that guy. Hey, remember Zechariah? Yeah, the one great, 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 great granddad killed? Yeah, that guy. Maybe we should probably build a monument for him because I feel bad that great, 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 great granddad did that. So they build a monument. They build a little thing. Hey, look at us. We're absolved, right? We're good? Jesus is going, no, 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 no. I don't care what they did. I care why they did it. They came preaching a, a message of repentance. All I wanted is for my people to turn. That's all God still wants. He doesn't want a monument to the prophets. He wants repentant hearts turning back to him. And so what Jesus is doing, indicting these lawyers here, is he's saying this, hey, you're just as guilty as them. Because though you may not have been the ones that took their life, you still are rejecting and ignoring the message they brought, which was repent. Turn from your sinful ways and get your heart back in line with the Lord. So what does that look like for us? This is for any of us. I put this, this is like a works-based salvation thing. This is for any of us that go, hey, I'm going to do a bunch of stuff. I'm going to serve. I'm going to give. I'm going I'm to do all of these things because in the end, I'm hoping the scales tip in my favor and, hey, God, we're good. Look at, look at all that I did. And God's going to look at all that you did and go, not any of that did you do with a heart and obedience to me. You did it all because you thought you were earning your way or you're earning something. You were trying to work your way towards. I could care less about all of that. I don't need your money. I don't need your time. I don't need your fake reverence in the church. I don't need any of it. I've got plenty of that. What I need is your heart. And what I've asked of you from the beginning and I'm still asking of you today is that you would repent, turn from all of that, and just in humble contrition kneel before God and go, God, here I am. 
Are we there? Are we there? Are we building monuments, thinking we're doing great things, but our heart's not in it? Last one. Jesus, again, just begins to speak. There is no wisdom of God book that he's quoting. There's no, no lost document that states this. I think this is just God talking to him. He says, I will send the prophets and the apostles in verse uh, 49. Some whom you're going to kill and persecute so that the blood of the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation from the blood of Abel. Go read Genesis chapter probably four or five from the very first one. You guys know the story of Cain and Abel? Right? Two brothers, first two human beings born on earth. They both bring their offerings to the Lord, one from a, a genuine, sincere heart. The other one does the right thing. God accepts the one, doesn't the other, and the one he doesn't accept, he goes, wait a minute, I did what you asked of me. Absolutely you did. I told my brother I loved him. Yeah, you did, because I made you do it. I never, I'm not interested in you being obedient. I'm interested in your heart. Bring what you bring because you love me, not because you have to. Cain and Abel. Very first, death. Then you go to Zechariah, the very last prophet, looks at the people of Israel and goes, we need to repent, turn. And they go, you know, we're tired of that message, and they murder him. Again, rejecting the message of God. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. What do you lawyers, why you've taken the key of knowledge... You didn't enter it yourselves, and you're actually hindering those who are entering. What is this key of knowledge? The key of knowledge is this, repent. Turn from it. And with a humble, contrite, broken heart, turn from your sin. Turn from this heart of obligation and duty, and turn back to the Lord and go, God, I bring nothing to this sinful party but myself, but for whatever reason, for reasons that I can't even fully comprehend, you want me, and you ask me to come to this thing. And so I'm coming with nothing to offer other than just a heart of humility and contrition. And God goes, that's all I've ever wanted is a humble, contrite heart. Because now I can begin to do my best work in you. And when I do my best work in you, you know what you can't do? Take credit for it. Look what I did. God's up there going, no, I did that. Remember? All right. Look what God did. That's where he wants us. So two things, what does this look like for us? Two things, one is this. All I would ask of you is the same thing I'm asking of myself. When you look at the last week, six months, 25 years of your walk with the Lord, just ask the question. Try to ask it as often as possible. Why do I do what I do? Why are you even here this morning? Is coming to church a religious box that you gotta check? Let me be honest with you. God's not taking attendance. Your presence and sitting in here out of obligation and duty, God's unimpressed with. So ask yourself, why am I here? Is it because you're here because you want to honor and love and revere the Lord and love the church and the family of God that he's brought? Man, I think we're in a good spot. Why do you serve? Do you serve because you feel like you're obligated to because Doug gets up here and goes, we need people for night to shine. All right, yeah, I'll do it. Not interested. Or do you serve because you go, man... <laughs> It is such a joy and an honor to serve the God of the universe. And for reasons I don't get, God wants me to help him, I'm in. And from a heart of reverence, we serve the Lord. Why do you give? You give because you think you have to? Well, maybe if I, if I give this, then God will bless me back. That's not how it works. Well, maybe if I give this, then I won't feel so bad about all the other things I spend my money on. That's not how it works. God doesn't need it. God owns a cattle on a thousand hills. 
God wants to provide for his church. He's going to provide in weird, strange, miraculous ways. Ask, ask the elder board here. They'll tell you countless stories, the ways in which that has happened in our past. Because that's what God does. God's not looking for a, did you tithe your rue? He's got plenty of rue. He wants your heart. Give because you love the Lord and you just go, God, I can't help but honor you. And I wish there was more, but this is what I, this is what I want to do because this is what I love to do. Why do you pray? Why do you spend time in the word? When you, is your New Year's resolution to, I'm going to read the Bible every day. And so you wake up and you go, oh, when's this over? What do we got? All right. And then Bill, Dad, da, da, da. God's not impressed. No test at the end. God wants your heart. So if that's where you're at, if it's surely a discipline, keep sticking with the discipline because there's, there's, there's fruit in it. But if it remains a discipline for too long, then I'm going to ask you this. Can you just stop? Maybe put it aside just for one day. It's shocking. You're never going to hear me say this. Put it aside for one day. And whatever time you devote to your discipline, just devote it to being on your knees and going, God, would you give me a hunger, a thirst, and a desire to be with you like I've never experienced before? Because I can't seem to conjure that up in my own will and, and self-discipline. I need you to do your best work. And see what God begins to stir up in you. Because God wants your heart. He cares a whole lot more about the why than the what. Last thing is this. If you're here today and you've spent your life, your journey, whether with the Lord or you're just here trying to figure all this out, and on any version you have thought, what do I need to do to get God to love me? Let me tell you, God loves you. He's not asking you to do. He's asking you to stop and surrender. And just say, enough's enough. There is nothing you could do. The reality is, everything we do, all the great things, the best thing you've ever done, and the worst thing you've ever done, both of them place us on the same trajectory to spend eternity separated from God because we are sinful people. So there is no amount of good you can do to get you off of that trajectory. The only thing you can do is find yourself at some point going, God, I'm tired and sick of it. I just can't do what you ask of me. And he goes, I know. That's why I sent Jesus. Because it's never been about doing more. It's only been about stopping, acknowledging your sinfulness, and then fixing your eyes on Jesus Christ, God on earth, perfect in every way, and the perfect sacrifice for your sins and for mine. And they buried him in the ground, and three days later, he rolled that stone back, and he beat death because death couldn't even hold him so that you and I could have hope. It's the message. I mean, my brother was sitting right here in a box. He wasn't. His ashes were. My brother's in heaven. Why? Because my brother knew he was a sinner, and he believed Jesus Christ was his Lord and Savior. And so we celebrated Tuesday in a very strange way for anyone without hope because we know with certainty, and I know with certainty, that when I looked my brother in the eye and with an absolute genuine heart and I said, hey, I love you, I told him I'll see him in two days. It's going to take me a little longer to get there. But I'm going to see him again because of the hope of Jesus Christ. If you don't have that hope, then you need to talk to somebody today. If you didn't come with a friend that you can talk with, I got friends for you back here at the Follow Jesus table. I'm going to be right up here. There's going to be a whole mess of people up here that would love to talk with you today about that one thing. What do you believe about Jesus? For the rest of us, I'm going to pray in just a second. Worship team's going to come out. We're going to worship again. Here's my challenge to you. Same challenge I will have over here. 
when we worship now, can we not stand and worship until we get to the place that we go, God, I want to worship you from a genuine heart, not because I've just been trained to sing songs and we put words on the screen and we sing it, but because I'm going to declare these truths to you because it's what's in here, because that's what God's always been after, our hearts. He cares more about the why than the what. Let me pray. God, thank you for your word. God, I thank you for a warning to a bunch of people that I hope figured it out. God, I pray for every one of these lawyers and Pharisees that were in that room. God, I pray through your resurrection, through the witness of the apostles, God, that these men, that they figured it out and gave their lives to you. God, I pray the same for every person in this room as well, God, that we would surrender to you, that we would acknowledge not only how desperately in need of you we are, but God, how beautiful it is to be your sons and your daughters. And as we live life this week, God, we would live it in holiness and obedience to you. God, not for one minute because we have to, but because we count it such a joy and a privilege to live a life honoring to you. So until you're done with us or you call us home or come back for us, God, let us live with hearts just in love and in awe of who you are. And let the world see that as we put it on display. We love you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Man, I hope that is true, not just of the words on the screen, but of our hearts, that Jesus Christ is our living hope. So as he sends us out into a world that that is not true of everyone he's going to put in your path this week, that maybe they would see some of that living hope coming out in us, not because we have to, but because we're so in awe of what it means to be God's kids and who we are to him and who he is to us. I hope that's where we're at. And continue to pray. Know that all your elders and pastors are continuing to pray that for each and every one of us, God, continue to do a work in us so that you would do a work through us as we go out into this world. And you're going to hear me say it. I've said it a thousand times. I keep saying it. You know, service isn't over till you love somebody. But can we love each other enough to not love somebody out of obligation or duty? But can we love somebody because we genuinely love them and see them as a brother or sister in Christ, as an image bearer of God, and that we would dialogue with them knowing that maybe, just maybe, you're, God's going to use you to help them feel a part of something bigger than themselves. That's the charge. And that's why we ask every week, man, would you love somebody today? So go out. Love someone before you go. Have a great rest of your week. We'll see you guys all next Sunday.